heart of the matter tonight. The uh, show is called, Who Gets to Say? Who Gets to Say? And let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, seek you and need you. Pray for your uh, guidance in all things and uh, help people who are seeking for truth to find it. And uh, bless the volunteers and people involved in the program. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, some updates really quick. First of all, we have set a date for Dr. James White, worldwide uh, apologist extraordinaire. Uh, ostensibly, I think he's coming to uh, straighten me out. Uh, that hasn't been said between us, but I think, because that's kind of what James White does. He straightens out the Catholics and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and the Arminius and uh, anything that has to do with uh, the Bible. Uh, James White will straighten you out on what's wrong with your thinking, and he's going to be here on February 13th. Uh, we agreed on a two-hour show. I hope we can get it to a three-hour program and working on having food, fun, entertainment, and uh, hope that you'll uh, tune in uh, and prepare to see Brother White here on Heart of the Matter at that time. also had a really nice uh, uh, lunch with uh, Terry Long, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, here in Salt Lake, and you know what the history was, as we talked about it last week between us, but uh, discovering the man is very much like my brother, both in Christ and in the flesh, and uh, so getting a deep appreciation for uh, him, what he's doing over there at Calvary Chapel. We're going to talk more about that in the months and weeks to come, uh, years to come, as we continue to get to know each other. They're doing a lot of good stuff over there. One thing I know for sure is they do teach the Word, and that is needed more than anything else, I think, in church. So with that, let's get into uh, the show and give me about six minutes to just kind of build a case. Looking to the New Testament, uh, there is obviously an established arrangement for Jesus' church. We can't deny that. It is built upon a foundation of prophets and apostles with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. That's how Paul puts it. And it was, this, his church was established geographically. It began with believers in Jerusalem, and that gathering there was the church. And then as the gospel spread to different places, churches were uh, established. And, uh, but it was also, also centralized, in a sense, um, in certain ways. For instance, uh, Jerusalem had a bit of power still. And we know that Paul went around and he gathered offerings for the church at Jerusalem because they were starving under oppression for becoming Christians. So it was a body of believers who gathered in geographical locations. They were known as the church at Corinth, the church in Colossus, the church in Ephesus. They were known geographically by where they were located. And they gathered together. And in order to study the scripture, which was the Old Testament to them, and learn about uh, Jesus and spirit and truth. And they were commanded to take communion together until he came. That's what Paul says. Take, uh, G Paul says, Jesus says, take the communion until he comes, is how he put it. The New Testament church was under apostolic rule. And as you study it, you see how important the apostles were to that church. If they weren't important to helping the church stay together, I don't think Jesus would have ever called them. What would be the purpose? So they were essential to keeping that church together. And uh, even with their presence and leadership, the church struggled against 
infiltration of forces that were seeking to rip it apart. Uh, and that's the need for that apostolic leadership. They were doing miracles. They had powers. They had discernment. They were uh, giving scripture, uh, all of that stuff. Ever wonder what the church would look like without the apostles? Well, just take a look at the material church uh, after about 150, 200 uh, uh, 250 A.D., and then just as it's gone all the way out today. That's what it looks like without apostles. Um, so some churches try to paint the ancient church, uh, in not uh, the, the apostolic church, but the church going back into the 1500s and the thousands and the 500s in glowing light. And, uh, you know, but organized religion has never escaped uh, some real ugly stuff. And church history stinks, as Chuck Smith used to say when he, uh, I learned from him. Church history stinks. So the need in the New Testament for people to remain righteous and good and in the vine was paramount. It was paramount. That's what all their instructions are about in the lives of the earliest believers. Uh, because the, the apostles were saying, listen, you have to be ready for when he comes. You have to have yourself ready and, 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 and go through all these difficulties and temptations and, as a preparation for the end of this age, is how they would put it. So this is the central apostolic message as they went out. Receive Jesus and be saved from the coming destruction. That was the message. Receive him, be saved, uh, and remain, if you have received him, remain a man or woman of faith until he comes. That was the central message. Anyone reading the New Testament who's honest has to admit this. So additionally, whenever a gathering was established in the apostolic church, deacons and elders were also uh, chosen. And they were used to encourage and to serve and to do other things uh, there. And they were often under apostolic direction. So again, a vital influence of Christ's chosen, like I believe the scripture clearly says he did then we ought to still operate under what the New Testament says, it, how it was established. Um, talking to pastors, especially of late, I hear so many of them say, we teach the Bible, we teach the Bible, this is, and we go by the Bible. I've heard uh, a couple talk about how they justify tithes because they say it's a biblical principle. We use the Bible, uh, and, and we won't stop taking tithes because it's in the Bible. That's what they say. But it's sort of comical because it's all a game of kind of pick and choose. And again, who gets to say what stays and what goes in the Bible, in the New Testament especially. So either the Bible is a guide or the Bible is not. And when any pastor on earth is questioned, they will all, every one of them in some way or another, justify why they do some things and why they don't do other things. But I've yet to see any church that does them all. And so we have to say, who gets to say what we do and don't do? Who on earth? Because sometimes people say you must do this, and other people say you don't have to do that. And who is, who is making the decision in the Bible of what is kept and what is not. And it's just a fascinating thing when you think about it. Of course, if Jesus has taken his church, his bride, back, and now the body of Christ remains on the earth, 
but his church was that little small group under the apostolic rule that he came back in that age to take. If that's the case, then uh, trying to continue with practices in the New Testament is really ridiculous. It doesn't, it doesn't make any sense, but that's another story. So I'm going to go to our board of direction tonight, and there's a lot of content I'm going to cover, but I think you're going to find it fascinating if you let yourself think and open yourself up to what the scripture says and who gets to say how we do this or if we don't do it, okay? So I'm going to start off with a little bit of a rehearsal, and we have Jesus' New Testament church. And we have living apostles, and then we have the passage. And then we have deacons, and we have the passage, and we have elders, and we have the passage. And then over here I have all these passages that I'm going I'm to cover those, and I'm going to talk about who gets to say which of those things stays and which of those things go. So talking just about apostles really quickly, the entire New Testament proves that they were necessary, and they were called by Jesus and trained by him for that time. As they died, only in one case was an apostle replaced, Judas, when Matthias was elected for him. That was the only time. After that, they started getting martyred and killed, and we read never of them being replaced. Why? Why would that be? We know there was an apostle around at the time of 70 AD when, when I believe Jesus came back. That was John. There was still an apostle on the earth, but they had been killed off and they didn't replace them as they died. Jesus called these men and taught them and left his church in these men's hands, which was vital to their survival. Did they notice, though, that they didn't replace each other? That's important. Okay? Without apostles, without apostles governing the church, we have 30,000 plus denominations around, and without any real leadership, none. If you really look at it, there is no leadership here like Jesus' church had. Now, again, this isn't a petition for the Mormons. They got false apostles out the ear. That's not what we're talking about here. But if Jesus is coming back, if he's coming back to get his church without these apostles in place, this church is in serious trouble, okay? So what we have is a new age where the brick and mortar is over. God reigns over his kingdom and by and through his spirit without the interventions of men. Okay, so the next thing we talk about are deacons. And I'm just giving you one passage here, 1 Timothy 3.8. It says, Likewise, must the deacons be grave and not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy of filthy lucre. So there ought to be uh, deacons in Christ's church. And all that means deacon is diakonos, and it just means servants. And that can be today. That's an easy one. So those who are led of the Spirit today will serve in gatherings, and those who aren't won't, and they're free in that way. The next one are elders. Okay, and that's Titus 1.5. And that says, For this cause I left thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are wanting, and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed you. So we see apostolic involvement in the appointing of elders, that he was guiding others to appoint them as he appointed them to do, right? Older men in the faith, simply elders, that's all it means, and they were elected by the church and the apostles to govern what was going on in that local community. Pretty easy, but remember, the apostles seemed to oversee the elders and elected them, and so if there's no apostles around today, who is doing the electing? Where does that come from? The believers? Okay. All that being said, 
it's at this point, let's start now looking at some things in the New Testament that have either come from Jesus' mouth or from his apostles' mouths directly. In doing so, we have to ask ourselves, are we in a position to discard these things that were said? And if we are, who has that right to cut them out? I want to know that. Offsetting some people's right to cut them out, we have to remember that others will not ignore them and include them. And they'll choose to include these things because they'll say it's in the Bible and it's what Jesus and or the apostles have said. So who's right? Where's the apostolic leadership to direct us? Oh, it's in the Bible, you'll say. Then, but it's not, it's not in the Bible here. It's only in the Bible there, the pick and choose. So get the problem? There was a restorationist movement that was afoot years ago, 1800s. Joseph Smith uh, participated in it after it was established by a guy named Alexander Campbell. And they were the product of this thinking. They were saying, we need to restore the true apostolic church back to earth and get everything that's in the Bible in place, you know. And, uh, but we know there's issues there. So for every pastor who says they just follow the Bible, that's what tonight's show is. I want to know how they answer the things I'm going to cover really quickly. And I want to ask who gets to say. The pastor gets to say, the elders board, a group of pastors, a denomination, you know, Billy Graham, I don't know. Number one, first one up here, and I'm just going to go in chronological order, 1 Corinthians 7.27. It says, I'm going to move over closer, Wendy, to this. Oh, I'll just write it in here in the blue so you can see it. The topic is avoid marriage. <laughs> avoid it. Now, we got some young men in this uh, audience tonight who want married. And uh, let's talk about that. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, 27, Paul says, Are you bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loosed. Are thou loosed from a wife? Seek not a wife. Now, people can say, well, this is talking about if you're, uh, if you're divorced from your wife, don't seek another one. That's not what it's talking about in the context. This is a direct quote. If you don't have a wife, don't seek one. Okay? So, do we still give this advice today? Does that uh, seem like we're uh, in a different age? It would make sense that if Paul knew the end was coming, that he would tell people, don't worry about getting a wife. Just hang on, because with a wife or with a husband comes a whole bunch of problems. I'm coming soon. Don't get one. Just hang on into the faith, right? But he also said, you know, if you can't hold, withhold it, it's better to marry than to burn. Uh, talking about the burning that would come at that, at that age, but at the end of that age. But this advice was really important to that age, but look at our age. So if someone says, we live by the Bible and says, no one should seek a spouse, especially no man should seek a wife, they're kind of crazy, you know, with everything that's going on. So some preach this, some ignore it. Who's right? Where are the apostles? Oh, the Spirit will guide in each situation. Then why don't we just let the Spirit guide in every situation? You understand what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a ridiculous discussion for the past uh, 2,000 years. All right, let me give you another one. That's, uh, that's uh, marriage. This one is when someone gets sick, 
pray for them. That, that's the advice. It says in James 5.14, and if you're a Bible reader and you teach it to your congregation, is any sick among you? Call for physicians and let them come with their medicine. It doesn't say that. It says, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up and if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So that's what the Bible says. If someone's sick, have the elders go and pray for them and anoint them and they, if they be lifted up from their sickbed. All right, so our uh, elders healing the sick with prayers and oil today? Not just going and even just doing it. Are they being healed? Is what I want to know. And oh, yes, yes, yes. Here comes the reply. Uh, unless you're speaking to someone called a cessationist, they don't believe in spiritual gifts today. And there's a lot of cessationists in the, in the uh, world today. That's a group of people who have made it convenient to say all spiritual gifts have stopped. So the question is not all the differences. The question is who gets to say? That's what I want to know. All right, let's go to the next one. This is a big one. Oh, boy. And Paul didn't mince words with this. And people try to dance around it. Women in church shut up. Shut up, Paul says. Don't open your mouth. Here it is. You ready? 1 Corinthians 14, 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak. We just have a very high-pitched man laugh back there. That was not a woman laughing in church. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. Okay, so, someone just said amen. Okay. <laughs> the two Greek words here are clear. All right, they are sigao uh, for silence and laeo for not speak. Uh, keep your mouth shut, do not talk, is what he says. In other places, Paul talks about women prophesying and teaching, but this does not relate to what he's talking about here. He's talking about in church, this is what they need to do. Now, I know the answer is, well, you know, according to that time, you know, uh, they just come out of the Old Testament. Women didn't have rights. It was causing big division. Women in certain areas, like at Corinth, they were used to babbling on and on about certain things that didn't apply. Go home and talk to your husbands. I've heard of all of it, but I want to know who gets to say this is right or this is not. That's what I want to know. Because there are churches where women are not allowed to speak in those churches. Does it apply today or if it doesn't? If it doesn't, where did you get the right to say it doesn't? And if it does, how come you know you're right and you're not just taking some cultural application Paul was talking about and assigning it to yourself so you can try to obey more of the Bible and seem more holy than everybody else? You tell me, I know there are some churches that follow this. Does it make them better or does it make them worse? Are you thinking about it? Now, think about those instructions relative to the culture at that time and what was coming their way and the heat they were under, which we cannot fathom here. I don't think they can even fathom it in China or, or North Korea. You can't fathom what they were under here. And then look at it today in our age. Really? Really? 
You see, and that's how you, that's why I'm arguing for this ridiculous idea that we go by the Bible. We go by the Bible. You aren't going by the Bible. So don't say it. The only thing you go by the Bible on are the things you want to go by the Bible on, especially tithes. That one you all go by, don't you? You all go by that one. There's no question about that one, right? But this stuff, oh no, that didn't have application. That does. All right, let's go to the next one. What does Jesus say to the rich? Through his brother James. Now, I want to know a pastor today who will say this to the rich. And this is Jesus' brother writing, half-brother. Go to now, you rich men, weep and howl, for your miseries shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire." You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of laborers you have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped, you entered into the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. You have lived in pleasure on earth. You have been wanton. You have been nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. Now that's what he preaches. That's what he is teaching the rich in the Bible. The rich going to take context that will justify not teaching this uh, that way to the rich today or does it apply a different way who gets to say there are churches that would speak against the rich they're typically in poor areas and there are churches that would never do it because they're in rich areas this is the game of religion using the bible as our infallible guide that we don't even use infallibly okay here's another one Speaking of women, this is from Peter, and he is really direct. He says, plain, plainness. Now, we just had a woman in here buzzing her face with some gizmo, <laughs> removing hairs from her under chin, and, and in the church she's doing that, right? Listen to what Peter says. Who's adoring, talking about women, let it not be that outward adoring of braiding your hair, okay, and of wearing of gold or putting on of apparel. That means they have to be naked in the church if, if you're going to do it right. No putting on of apparel. Of course, the translation means don't put on rich apparel. Now, you go to the churches and you see what women do on Sunday. We were just talking about an Easter Sunday in certain churches where, man, it's a show, right? Paul, Peter specifically says, don't braid your hair. And you know what that, I mean, let's just take it literally. I won't even go into all the new. Let's just take it literally. You need to be plain. You need to be plain. You need to shut up in church. That's taking the Bible for what it says. Now, you may decide, and your pastor may decide, well, you know, we have to take the, if you take that approach with the Bible, yeah, you know, but we, you should be taking it with everything and seeing how everything applies instead of just those ones that are kind of uncomfortable for you, right? Uh, by the way, the RSV says, let not yours be the outward adorning with braiding of hair, decoration of gold, and wearing of fine clothing. How many of, uh, of the churches actually do the opposite of that? The exact opposite. It's just fascinating. 
All right, let's go to the next one. This was really interesting to me. And it's about something that uh, I used to sort of be fond of, and it's called self-mutilation. Mutilation. You guys believe in self-mutilation? <laughs> well, Jesus did. <coughs> this is what he says. And if you're right, I offend you, pluck it out. That's what it says. He didn't say it's metaphor. He said pluck it out. And cast it from you, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that the whole body should be cast into hell. And if your right hand offend you... <laughs> Cut it off and cast it from you. Cut it off. Now, we have people in here laughing, probably because I joked about it, but that's what Jesus said. Now, you can say, no, he doesn't mean that literally. How do you know? Who gets to say if this is literal or not? I know people who would consider things like this literal. They're up at the uni mental ward in, here in Salt Lake City, missing eyes and hands. Because they've taken that Bible and they say, I'm going to follow it literally, you see. But if you say, I'm not going to take it literally, why do you get to choose where it is and isn't? That's the question. Jesus said it. Do you believe it? I hear people say, the Bible says it. I believe it. That's it. Yeah, yeah right. Uh-huh. Uh, what if a guy with a problem with porn came into church and plucked one of his eyes out? Pastors. You see a guy, he's bleeding out of his, out of his eye socket. And you, you're like, what is wrong with you, uh, Mike? Mike says, well, I looked at porn and Jesus said, cut my eye. You can't, I mean, you don't take it that way, Mike. That's just absurd. What's wrong with you? And, and then you turn around and say, but Jesus says this and you better. And Jesus says that and you better. You see what's wrong with making the written word the law? See, it's the spirit of the book that gives us the direction. And these things help us understand what the spirit of it is. But so if you ever take anything literally, you should be taking everything literally. Or if you're not taking any, if you're taking some things non-literally, maybe you should consider everything non-literally and spiritually instead. Okay. This one, uh, this is a big one with a friend of mine. And it is... Don't defend yourself. Boy, that's a big one in this day and age, isn't it? Half the people come to this church carry guns. So, <laughs> you know, what are we doing with that one? Justifying. Well, if they come in and are going to do, then you can, you know. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5:39. You resist not evil. You resist, you don't resist evil. But whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn the other also. All right? Do we, in this country, is that even taught? Would a pastor of any normal church son who's, who's out there on the playground getting beat up week in and week out, would he say, just keep taking it, son, just keep taking it, son, just keep taking it. Or is Jesus talking about spiritual offenses? Is he, talk, is he talking about physical or is he talking about spiritual offenses and things where people are taking advantage of you? And, and if you have the power and someone slaps you to, to let them do that, Jesus did that. You want to be that literal? It's not what, how you're interpreting it. It's who gives us the right to interpret it the way we do.
Next one, give to anyone who asks. I'm going to stop writing in this because it's taking up too much time. Give to anyone who asks. Matthew uh, 5.42, give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn thou not away. Luke 3.11, he said unto them, he that has two coats, let him impart to him who has none. Okay, so we live in a society where our closets are full of 30 shirts. Jesus would say, you who have 30 shirts, keep one, impart the 29. Do we do that? We follow the Bible, right, pastors? You have one suit, one shirt, one set of shoes, and you've given the rest to the poor? Oh, this is not something that we take literally? Jesus said, don't marry a divorced person. You ready for this one? But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. Ready for this one? And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. I had a conversation with a a Catholic priest two days ago. It was a fascinating conversation. Actually, it was this morning. Fascinating conversation. He says, that's exactly right. That is exactly what it means. I said, what do you do if you find uh, somebody, they, they got married young, they got divorced, they, they met somebody else. He, he honestly, with great sincerity, said, I would counsel that new couple that got married to not sleep with each other. That's what he said. In all seriousness and earnestness. I'm not making fun of him. He means it, you know? So you tell me who gets to choose. The Catholics take that one pretty seriously, except the Pope of recent, uh, but that's what I've heard. Okay, here's another one. Jesus said, don't save your money. Okay, Matthew 6, 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay treasures in heaven. Don't save, don't lay your money up like that. Don't do it. That's what he said. What do we say? All over the world, Christian churches. I mean, we have financial Christian gurus, Dave Ramsey's. And, and people telling us how to be financially solvent because the Bible talks more about money than almost God, they'll say. He talks so much about money. It's so much important to be good stewards. And Jesus here says, don't save money here upon earth. Don't do it. Who gets to interpret it, my friends? The spirit in the individual's life or some pastor who gets to decide what it means and you better do it because that's his opinion or denomination. Oh, how about this one? This is a good one. And everyone talks about it. Hate for family. Hate. The word is missio in the Greek, and it means freaking hate. Okay? Jesus said it. If any man comes to me and hates not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, people who come to campus know exactly how we would teach that and what we would say it means. But again, I'm choosing to teach it that way. I, I'm sure, you know, maybe Westboro Baptists teach their folk, you got to hate your mom and daddy. You got to hate your sisters. You got to hate your own life. Because Jesus don't love you if you don't. <laughs> Almost done. Give away all that you have. Luke 14, 33. So likewise, whosoever he be that be of you that forsaketh not all that he has, 
All that he has, all that he has cannot be my disciple. The words of Jesus, I just follow Jesus. Really? That's what he said. That's what the Bible says. How do you interpret it? Not really how. Who gets to interpret it? In what way? And this is why we have the gates of hell prevailing against the church, dividing us up because we have built on a foundation that is completely faulty. And it's not in harmony with what the scripture says. The scripture says that age is going to end. It's going to be fulfilled. And then we're going to live by the spirit while God will write his laws upon our minds and hearts. Ooh, listen to that. He will write his laws upon the minds and hearts of those who are here. And guess what? That guy who got a divorce when he was 22 because he married young and didn't know his wife and she was cooking him uh, chitlins for breakfast. That guy, that guy divorces his wife. He makes a mistake. He finds a good Christian woman when he's 30. He marries her and the spirit says, I love your brother. Go forward. Doesn't have to go by that because the spirit on his heart is there. And guess what? God judges that guy for his actions and knows the motivations of that guy's heart. And that's how it works with all of it. God knows the individual. He's written his law. And every one of us are responsible to either speak in church if you're a woman or not. All the things that are there. Next one. I love this one. The treatment of widows. I had someone tell me they actually do this. A pastor, not long ago. First Timothy, Paul says this is how you treat widows. Let not a widow be taken into the number, mean taken into help, who is under three score years old. That's 60. 59? No. Having been the wife of one man, her husband died when she was uh, 20. She married another guy, rightfully. Had another marriage, another marriage. Can't do it. Well reported of for good works. If she's brought up children, that means she can, be brought, she can be cared for if she's done these things. If she has lodged strangers. If she's washed the saints' feet. If she, <laughs> I just, it's such a funny image. Can you imagine getting all of our elderly widows and having them roaming about washing people's feet to make sure that they can be helped by the church. I mean, if you're going to be a literalist, that's what you got to do. If she has relieved the afflicted, if she is diligently followed after every good work, those are the eight things a widow needs to do, according to Paul, to be received and helped. So, uh, what if she's 59 and a half? Uh, we know what scripture says, right? If she's been married twice, what if she is not a good report? What if she has no children? What if she's never lodged strangers? What if no feats have been washed? What if uh, the afflicted have not been relieved? And what if she hasn't followed diligently after every good work? We cast the widow out? We don't help the widow then? Is that what you think the gospel is about? That was for that time to keep that church together because it was under extreme, extreme pressure. And this was the apostolic leading. But if you take that today and you assign it, come on, you are playing the most ridiculous game. But who gets to choose? Next one, a good one. How about our thoughts for those who fail to provide for their families? Men, this is what it says. Paul says, but if any provide not for his own especially those of his own house, 
He has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. You know what infidel means? Unbeliever. A man does not provide for his wife and children. Paul says in 1 Timothy 5.8, he's worse than an unbeliever. So, would a pastor teach this today that it would be better for a man to be an unbeliever in Christ and provide for his family? Because that's what he's saying here. Paul's saying it's better for you to provide for your family and be an unbeliever than to be a believer and not provide for your family. Because at least in the one, you are taking care of people and the other one, you're not. It's just unbelievable what the book says. And of course, again, at that time, it was very important at that time for these things to be in place. And I believe that. Family burials. Listen to this one. Jesus, you know it. Jesus tells a man who just lost his father and wanted to go to his burial before joining Jesus and following him as a disciple. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Imagine a pastor today saying that. Some guy comes up, my, my dad just died. And I, you know, I got to go to that. I can't come to the men's gathering this afternoon. Let the dead bury the dead. <laughs> I mean, are we maintaining this view? Or do we say, okay, we get what he was saying. But who gets to choose? The problem is, it's the spirit, you guys. It is written on the heart. The book is a guide. And we know, with smiles on our faces, what can be literal and what can't. But we can say that, but there's so many people who can't. They are so troubled, and they live in religions that actually tell them some of these things must be in place. Washing of feet. Jesus said, if then your Lord and Master has washed your feet, ready? You also ought to wash one another's feet. That was a literal thing that Jesus did. He literally scrubbed the piggies. Should we be scrubbing the piggies? He says, you ought also to wash one another's feet. Is that emblematic of service? Maybe. Or is it an exact rule? Who gets to decide? Finally, last one, 1 Corinthians 11.5. But every woman that prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. For that is even all one if she were shaven. Meaning, you can have your head uncovered if you've shaved your head, which is still a shame to a woman in the scripture. For if a woman not be covered, let her also be shorn. We got the clippers going, ladies. They're in the back. You cover that head of yours, or we're buzzing your hair off. That's what Paul says. So you're not you won't have any problem with braiding your hair if we follow this. So we're going to strip you of your makeup. We're going to strip you of your hairdo. We're going to strip you of your gold. We're going to strip you of your fine attire. You shut your mouth in the church. <laughs> Is it beginning to sound like wow to you? I am not mocking what Paul was telling and, and the, uh, Jesus was telling the people then. I am not at all. I love the Word of God. We teach it every Sunday. And I, I teach these things seriously when we come to them. But if we don't get it in our heads that this book is a map, a spiritual map for every believer to read and grow by and not make stand on dogmatic claims, these are just a few. 
I was reading this morning in my scripture. I, I started seeing more. I, I can't add to the list. This more and more kept coming out. And pretty soon, all we become are lawyers instead of lovers. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413. I don't know if we have any calls. Doesn't look like it. I'm coming back to one. How much time do we got left? 19 minutes? I got no emails I want to cover. So I got one more thing, and we're going to wrap it up. Somebody sent this to me. I guess it's online somewhere. And someone posted this thing, and it says the biblical Jesus versus postmodern Jesus. And under it, uh, it says, which Jesus do you follow? But online, it said, which Jesus do you think Sean McCraney teaches? Okay? And under the biblical Jesus, there's a whole list. And under the postmodern Jesus, there's the opposing list, apparently, or, or how they're different from what the biblical, biblical Jesus, I love that. You know, the bib, everything is always the biblical Jesus and, versus the postmodern Jesus. So next week, that's what we're going to cover here on Heart of the Matter 2.0. We're going to cover what the biblical Jesus, how the biblical Jesus is described here. And then we're going to cover how the postmodern Jesus is described. And in the end, I, I will tell you which Jesus, uh, hopefully you'll know which Jesus I truly preach. We don't have anything going on with that. Let's wrap it up early tonight. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter.